What's up, and welcome to the Crude Oil Podcast, a weekly uncensored Edmonton Oilers podcast with your hosts, Sean and Greg. Welcome back to the Crude Oil Podcast, Sean. Oh my God. I, I mean, we did it. <laughs> oh my God, we did it. We did do it. I, uh, I'm still recovering. My voice is still catching up to myself here. See, uh, my so. voice is still okay because I had to watch the game near uh, a baby and I wasn't allowed to yell. <laughs> so I managed to survive. Though I am pretty hungover today, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Playing guilty. Not a, not a bad start, eh? Exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. So much to unpack. So much to go through. I felt like it was uh, uh, just a roller coaster of emotions over the past, well, 72 hours. Uh, when you consider everything that happened after Game 5 and then into Game 7. Um, do we want to just do a quick brief, uh, recap of, of everything that happened in Game 5, move in, and then we can ultimately chat about Game 7 because that's the that's the thing we really want to talk about. Well, that'll uh, be the meaty part of this podcast too. But before we get into that, I just want to mention, if wherever you're listening to this, uh, feel free to give us a subscribe, a follow, a like, a comment, whatever that that allows um anything you guys can do would be great and super helpful and if you like it just stay tuned for more yeah yeah great marketing plug i do like that i'm not good at that game <laughs> we're, we're bad at plugging so we need to plug more <laughs> we we need to implement the uh the burt kreischer of uh marketing schemes to our uh <laughs> to our, start to taking our... promo videos everywhere we yeah go. exactly exactly <laughs> um yeah, so we'll jump into Game 5. Uh, we won't go too too in-depth to it. Um, maybe the grossest start to a hockey game that I've ever seen in this this club. Um, I I know I was handling the socials, and I was kind of going off the... Um, the deep end? Off the deep end, yeah, <laughs> when it came to uh, some of the... I, there's just no effort, no energy. Well, um, I think like they've had bad starts like that this season, even in the series. But I think everybody was just disappointed after game four and then bouncing back with that effort and be like, are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, you, you get shut out in game four and then your response is just to come back and not uh, not really show up again, especially at home in a, um, an environment where you think you have the crowd behind you. I was just, I was kind of shocked more than anything. But uh, I mean, the Oilers special is to play for 10 minutes of the game mm-hmm. and then somehow make a game out of it. <laughs> Because they just dominate for 10 minutes. Well, it was funny because it, it got to the third period and there's a part of me that's like, oh my God, like, do I want to suffer through this entire thing? But it it goes without saying, like, I think in the last three games, it's really become evident how powerful Connor McDavid's, like, will to win actually is. I think he's proven to everybody over the last three games that he is the player that he, everybody knows he is and can be. Yeah. It's it's insane to think that Connor McDavid has like a level to begin with, and then there's a next level when he's gearing up to playoffs. But we've seen like in the third period of game uh, game five, and then throughout game six and game seven, there's another level to his game that he can take it to, and it's it's fucking scary as a uh, you know as an opposing team that has to come in and have to defend against that. So I well, mean his base level is like one of the best players of the, yeah. in the world and then his next level that he can reach that he has reached many times is otherworldly nobody's even close mm-hmm. yeah and i think after the series i would be hard pressed to hear anybody make a actual debate for that yeah no i think you're absolutely right there um so yeah they they, they come back uh, a couple power play opportunities dry sidles clutch again uh, and and they tie it and it goes to overtime and it's almost as if that third period didn't exist because they were just they... starting another game again. Yeah, so they just wanted to get their bad first period out, right? And yeah, then they never had another one. I I don't even know. Um, I have to go back, but I saw Ryan Whitney's tweet. It's like the Oilers didn't even uh, touch the puck. Well, they tried to touch the puck. I think Keith sent it up to Kane, and then Kane ate shit, and then it went the other way with Kempe. Yeah, so that was one thing I don't want to go too deeply into, but I I kind of noticed in the the first and second period in particular, it seemed like a lot of Oilers were falling. And I don't know if oh, it was an ice issue or... I think it might just be Edmonton in general. Because I know Pulley Arby likes to oh fall. Oh, my goodness. Kane likes to fall. Drysaddle likes to fall. 
Yamamoto will throw his body into anything and probably fall over from doing it. <laughs> um, so it's just kind of part of the team, but it's hard to it's hard to say because I know I saw Rogers Place was voted like the second best ice in the league behind mm-hmm. Montreal mm-hmm. in like the uh, NHLPA poll. So I don't want to say the ice is bad. I think they were just having a tough go of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of poetic justice that that's how it ended. Um, and and then... I, I almost hate when they make those comebacks mm-hmm. and then stay up for the extra 20 minutes through the intermission leading into OT, and then they just <laughs> don't show up. It was like people were ready for bed, essentially. After that fourth goal, they're like, oh, okay, it's 4-2. We're playing like shit. What are we going to do? And then they get our hopes up and just dash them. I know. I know I... a lot of people were like, this series is over after that. And I'm very, very happy that I was not one of them. Oh, yeah, me too. Like, it, it took a beat to get over it um, because obviously there's the frustration and everything. Um, but I, I'm with you. I, was, I wasn't ready to jump off the bandwagon for everybody who's, um, you know, we're done, we're out of it. Like, I hope you're enjoying yourself today. I really want to just go through, like, scroll through Twitter on that day and just take screenshots of people and then retweet them at everybody and oh. be like, what did you say? What do you mean? Oh, buddy, I've been going through some already, and I've been just, like, finding cold takes exposed and just um, trying to, you know, see if people want to touch up on their on their thoughts from a week ago. But well, all right. yeah. after that game five, yeah, we move on to game six into L.A. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody was a little concerned going on the road, not sure, not sure what was going to come of the game. <laughs> and honestly, they did better than I could have hoped, really. Well, like they came out in that first period and played the exact way they need to. Yeah, and you mentioned people not really knowing. I know I talked to you about it, but it's, it's kind of funny. Um, when it comes to those games where it's elimination like or die, um, well, elimination, that's kind of redundant, but you know what I mean. Uh, in game six, where the Oilers had no other option but to win, like, I cannot watch that with people because I will, I don't know what it is. I just have to sit in a padded room by myself to watch those games. Well, yeah, it's... it asks you to come watch the game. And you're like, <laughs> I can't do it, man. I can't do it. I might kill you. I'm not going to lie. Oh, my God, man. Just a psycho I turn into. Um it's just the competition in you. You can't help yourself. Yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> There's a positive spin. But yeah, I I, um, I didn't know what to expect. And the Oilers just came out and uh, they they kind of stuck to their game as opposed to playing the Kings game, which is something that they've been sucked into like throughout the series. Um, but I think it was it was a very complete performance. There were some ups and some downs for sure. I know the Kings came close to sealing it out there but i know i was a little jittery as soon as they uh tied the game earlier in the third and i was like oh boy this no no this isn't happening yeah a lot of that and then uh tyson berry gave me faith again <laughs> man i thought we we go back to our plus minus of the week and i i was making the comment about how he can't score and he just shoved it straight up my hoop i mean that oh. was a that was a wicked shot yeah Turns out if they can shoot and not hit the shin pads of the Kings, they can actually score. Who knew? Yeah, yeah. That's something that I've noticed. Uh, Bouchard's, uh, not to get too niche, but he's kind of run into that issue a little bit. Oh, we're bringing back the shin pad assassin. Yeah. <laughs> it might have been retired once uh, Sekera got gone. traded, yeah. but it's back for Bouchard because he needs to find a way to get that puck through because yeah. it's been a struggle. Well, a lot of times he shot it. Goes off their shin pads and out of the zone mm-hmm. is unreasonable at this point. And he has a lethal wrist shot. Oh, he does, but he I think he just dusts it off too much and he yeah. needs to like focus on getting it through instead of like I don't even know what he's doing. Yeah. Like, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's very painful. I'd also like to say in this game six, I found it pretty ludicrous that the power plays were four one for LA. Oh man. That and we're gonna get into this. The Carl Gunstrom uh or is it Gunstrom? Yeah, Grunstrom. When he got cross-checked in the back by Nuge and went flying up in the air. Yeah, I love Kevin BX's breakdown on the intermission. I don't know if you saw it, but he's like, normally when you cross-check someone down, you fall down, not jump up. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but even any of the penalties, there was Yamamoto's goalie interference when he, uh, I think he was going to score when he was like kind of on in the 2-1-1 and went barreling into quick. Yeah. Like, I don't know if i call that goalie interference exactly. Mike Smith took the most blatant penalty I've ever seen by slashing a guy in the nuts. I mean, it, it was a stupid move. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it feels like even that was sold a little bit. I don't think he 
I know, I know he kind of like got him in, in the ball sack and it probably hurt a little bit, but I don't think it hurt as bad as he sold it. I mean, probably not, but I think I would do the same thing if people go anywhere near there. <laughs> it's where the panic sets in. You're like, okay, am I alive? Yeah. Like, can I still have children after I, this? I definitely don't uh, condone that. I don't think it was a smart uh, penalty to take. But... Well, even too, like the last uh, penalty in the game was uh, Yamamoto took a kneeing penalty and I don't really think that was kneeing either. But I mean, I'm. I think I'm just biased. I will say that, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It felt like the refs were just trying to get LA into the game. Oh, I think the I think the refs are dog shit. A little uh, bit of game management for all you out there. <laughs> um, and then like the Kaliev thing with McDavid. Uh, if you go back and watch, like he definitely motions to hit McDavid in a neutral zone. Like that's not a innocent non-call. No, it's he was looking at him the whole way. Like yeah. I don't think McDavid saw him. Right. But he was looking at him the whole way. Yeah. I. Uh, and then don't even get me started on, um, I think it was Mikey Anderson who like slew foot a dry sidle and potentially gave him a high ankle sprain. Yeah. I. That was the dirtiest play of the entire series by far. Um, I will say that coming out of the series, I do have a lot of respect for some of these Kings players. Like they mm-hmm. really blew me away by how well they, or how good they actually are. Mm-hmm. But Mikey Anderson and brendan lemieux are little pukes oh my god i can't fucking stand either one of them yeah you can strap them to a rocket ship to the moon like any day now please i'm just glad we never have to say their names for the next hopefully six months oh exactly well we won't play them again until next year so yeah exactly (laughs) but that brings Um, us to game seven yeah let's let's dive in this was something that i I knew the Oilers, in order to have success, had to have a good start. They had to, sh- no, they had it. They had to show up on time and actually compete. And it was domination from the puck drop of the puck. Yeah. I mean, McDavid set the tone in the first thirty seconds by absolutely laying oh out Sean Jersey. Yeah. That was shades of uh, Giroux laying out. I think it was Crosby in the first thirty seconds during their series against each other back in like when was that twenty. 20- 14 or something like that yeah yeah like that's the feeling that gave me i was like okay the captain came to play he's gonna show everybody the way they need to play and i think everybody followed suit all game long Mm -hmm. and i know uh i know he doesn't necessarily like to take him but josh archibald was throwing shots everywhere oh he was i will eat crow on everything i've said bad about archibald this season (laughs) for like personal decisions aside he is a hockey player i forgot how much i loved him yeah he, yeah. he comes in place. He plays his role better than any player I've ever seen. He just comes in, little wrecking ball out there, and just, like, dominates players that are twice his size. Well, and you go back to, like, this might be a hot take, but I think he was the most consistent Edmonton Oiler in the lineup when it comes to effort. I don't think anybody could argue. He always shows up every single yeah. game. He's yeah. never one of those passengers, really. Mm-hmm. The only problem was he would sometimes play, like, seven minutes a game. So he would kind of be a passenger because he's sitting on the bench for 53 minutes of the game <laughs> it was funny too when you go back to well we can we can get into it but uh Pugliarvi had the lowest minutes for the Edmonton Oilers in game six when they went back to the 11 and 7 um he's another guy that I found stepped up a little better in game seven um I don't I don't like him in the role that he's in uh, Did you like him more as that like extra forward playing with Cassian that they're kind of well that's kind of the, David and Drysaddle through that's kind of what he was in last night but I, well, I just I'm yeah. pretty sure in the actual line sheet he was like him and Cassian were down there yeah because it was Hyman came between McDavid and then McLeod between Drysaddle and Yamamoto mm-hmm. and then the third line was New Dryan and my brain is not working Archibald. <laughs> And then it had Cassian and Pugliarvi down there. But then all those centers were just rolling through every single line. So it was the, the wing combos and then the three cent- or the four centers just going through. Uh, <laughs> Whether it's Drysaddle, McDavid, McLeod, or Nuge. So I'll, I'll give you a little bit of inside baseball here from my, my coaching background. Um, w- whenever a lineup change comes in like that, I've noticed from my experience, like there's nothing but severe anxiety that's going through your head when you're trying to roll lines with uneven numbers. So I don't know how the hell they do it to manage it on an NHL level. So Well, I think they just roll the wingers, and then I'm guessing Woodcroft just taps whichever center. He's like, okay, get out there, get out there, get out there. Yeah. They just do whatever. Yeah. Uh, I Kudos to uh, 
kudos to them because whatever's working seems to work. I, I, I said it before and I'll say it again. I think the 11 and 7 model for the Edmonton Oilers lineup seems to be the most successful because you can get Connor McDavid more ice time, which isn't necessarily uh, something they need every single game. I mean, he probably didn't need to play 27 <laughs> minutes in game seven. Yeah. But it's like I said, I think it was in our first podcast that this is what Tippett trained them for. Yes. This is what their boot camp was for two years, three years with Tippett. So he could figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. And he's him dry saddled the nurse. I trust to play as many minutes as they need to to carry this team. Yeah. And McDavid just had to do more so than usual because dry saddles hurt and nurse is probably hurt. There was a few plays in that game where nurse got caught pretty flat footed where he's hasn't struggled like that pretty much all year. He's usually catching up to guys when he gets caught. Yeah. But he wasn't able to do that. Campe burned him hard in the first period. Yeah, I so we'll get into Drysidle about the that thought. I just um well, let's dive into it now. There there's some thoughts that went out through the game um where it got towards the tail end. It with them rolling the lines the way they had it, it felt like every second shift you had either a McDavid or a Drysidle and then McLeod. And yeah. then just flip well, I guess there's Nuge in there too, but um it felt like every second shift McDavid and Drysidle were out there. And the thought kind of crossed my mind um, because it, it's apparent that Drysaddle was running sixty per sixty to seventy percent health. Like he was, he was not himself last. He didn't night. have his speed, but luckily, yeah. a lot of his game doesn't rely on speed. Exactly, he He's... slows down the game, turns his back, and just protects the puck. He's still able to do that. He just can't. He doesn't have the acceleration that he can have usually. Yeah. So my thoughts were towards the end of the game, like. Are you increasing the inherent risk of having him out there not being 100% healthy instead of someone who is? So are you um, arguing what's better, like a 100% Devin Shore or a 70% dry saddle? Not a Devin Shore, but yeah. yeah. I mean, he, him and Broussard are the extra forwards, so would well, you t- bring one of them in over him? No, no, no. I, I'm not even talking about pulling dry saddle as a lineup. I'm just saying using someone else in that scenario. Um, I, I just didn't know if, if you need someone else... Um, so I guess the concern is that he might have been more of an anchor to McDavid if he's not at 100%. I, I was, yeah, I was just nervous in a one nothing game. Like, do you need Drysaddle out there who's not 100%? Is he going to... I think everybody kind of felt that yeah. way. Yeah. But every time they saw him out there, once they had the lead, they were a little afraid. Mm-hmm. And... But, I mean, it worked out. Like Nobody can argue with the results. Yeah. Um, and all that, they had a great first period. I thought they played really well. Um, I heard an interesting like quote that made me think about it, and it's probably true. The hits were pretty even in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you ask any Oilers fan, they're like, oh, Edmonton just crushed them. LA didn't do anything. <laughs> I, I specifically remember myself saying that in, during the game. Mm-hmm. But part of it is that every time Edmonton threw a hit, the crowd would lose their goddamn minds. Yeah. So every hit felt twice as hard as it probably was. Yeah, they are uh, rolling, rolling bodies there, it felt, for... Um, the first period, but yeah, I well, saw that stat too. I was like, what? No way. Well, with that being said, they still played great. Yeah. And somehow they did manage to take a penalty that game. I loved how the refs let them play. Um, I know from an LA perspective, I would have probably, like if I was them, I would have at least liked to see like even power plays, like one for each team. I, I think the Oilers got away with a few different things. Well, I mean, every well, team both did. Both teams did, yeah. yeah. The only thing is LA took the blatant penalty, which was the high stick. Yeah. And the refs aren't going to not call that. Yeah, like, that's... They almost called one on them for Keith high-sticking uh, Archibald. <laughs> I so... saw that. I saw that. I saw a tweet last night. It's like, oh, fuck, now we can review penalties? <laughs> <laughs> Where was this before? No shit. Uh, but yeah, I... I, I love the way the refs called the game last night. I know we have kind of shit on them the whole series have kind of been inconsistent, but they're very good last night. Uh, kind of let the team play. I, I had this feeling after the second period, I know they're only up one nothing at that point, but it felt like it could have been three or four. Oh, absolutely. If you, I would not have been surprised if that game was five, six, nothing by the end. Like, let's just say five, nothing. For example, there was the Kane one that barely almost went in when Anthony Sio took it off the line. There was Bouchard hit a post. I think Russell just hit that like wide of the net and yeah. shot it like a foot wide. Yamamoto hit the post. Like they could have easily scored. And <laughs> I think the high danger chances LA probably didn't really have a whole lot. I haven't looked at the stat, but in comparison, mm. I think it was nothing. 
Yeah, I was just going to say Bouchard took a wrist shot and hit the post. <laughs> That's um, true. He finally gets it through and he hits the post. Um, yeah, it, like, to to the Kings' credit, like, Jonathan Quick played out of his mind last night. They just, I mean, that was vintage Quick. That was, yeah. That was the reason that they won the Cups they did. Um, but... Uh, we moved to the third period, and I know... Before we jump to the third oh, period, we okay. never actually talked about the goal. Okay, yeah, we can get into that. I just wanted to talk about the goal. Um, yeah. I know nobody, I guarantee nobody had Cody Cece scoring the game winner of this game. Um, But I, he, I, he's, Cody Cece's been a god. I saw one guy on Twitter post his bet slip. Um, He so, put $10 on Cody Cece to win, what or to score the first... Out? 400 bucks jesus 40, 40 to one. 1 yeah yeah i mean i probably still wouldn't have taken that bet me neither yeah but like i don't think anybody had him scoring that their defense mm. has really jumped up offensively which has been great but the unsung hero on that play was yamamoto yes who started that play by jumping half of his height in the air to pick that puck out of the air <laughs> and keep that live i it's funny because if that was any other players, they probably didn't even have to jump yeah. to grab the puck. They could have just stuck their arm up in the air. But yeah. Yamamoto put in the extra effort. He was jumping all over the place tonight. Tonight It was crazy. It, Sorry, last night. It, and it was one of those rare plays, too, that uh, um, during the shift, I remember I looked and I, I verbally said, like, they're going to score here. It's coming. And sure as shit, like, CC upstairs. Uh, tough shot to to make it work over quick's uh, shoulder but i mean yeah do you think like quick think sees cc coming down on him and he's just like he's not gonna snipe it there's no way <laughs> you see him sneaking in you're like no <laughs> just goes down to the butterfly early so it goes over his shoulder oh sign cc till we get a new arena or something like that guys he's been clutch for us i mean he's been i would say far and away our best right side defenseman and debatably our best defenseman in general yeah certainly the most consistent yeah for sure. Like, I I think like him and him and Nurse are the top pairing, right? And then it's Keith Bouchard on the second pairing. Mm-hmm. So like I don't know. Kulak has also been a blessing. Oh what a pickup. Daddy Kulak. My God. What a story. Like flies home from LA, has the birth of his daughter, and then jumps in. Like, regardless of what happens last night, it's a win win scenario for him. But like how much of a dream come true is it to have a baby girl? with your family, leave the hospital, go play for your hometown team that you grew up cheering for in the playoffs in a game seven with a chance to close out at home. All I know is I was sitting in the room watching the game and all the girls were in the other room. Yeah. And they were talking about that story and they were mortified. <laughs> Just like, Why? what? What? It's like, he should be with his oh wife. Oh my God. <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing. Uh. It was so funny. I'd be lying if I didn't hear the exact same thing too in my household, but I would not be surprised. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I uh, the Oilers jump uh, out of the second period, and I I was pacing the house during the intermission, like I had to do dishes, I had to like I had to keep moving and doing something. I shit you not, I have my watch on. My heart rate when the game started was at ninety beats per minute. And it was like consistently between 100 and 135 beats per minute the entire game. We really like, need to set up like a tracker so oh we my. can see what our heart rates are during the game. I keep like forgetting Steve to Dangle, wear my right? watch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Yeah. I guarantee it would have been spiking multiple multiple times. Whenever the Kings had possession in our zone, mm-hmm. I caught myself like my friends were all talking and be like, oh, oh, the whole time I'd just be holding my breath. Yeah. And until the puck got out, I'd be like, oh, okay. Okay. We're fine. Yeah. It, uh, it was a lot of uh, gut check time for sure. But uh, jumping into the third, I thought the Oilers came out. There was a little bit there where I felt like they were trying to relax and uh, maybe playing on their heels a little bit. Yeah. And I was kind of hoping that wasn't the case for the entire period because it seems like the team, um, uh, when when you kind of settle down, I feel like the Oilers, that's when, when uh, slip-ups can happen and usually when the, the comebacks you know, can can happen. Like, we look at the Jets uh, series when they're down, what was it, two or three goals, the Jets, and they came back within that span of five minutes last year. Oh, God. Uh, just because the Oilers, you know, relaxed and, and decided to play, like, 1-3-1 hockey. And 
I don't. It's just not their game. I don't want to think about that game last year. <laughs> yeah. I still remember like going through being so high and going so low so quickly. That yeah. Was brutal. But let's not talk about that. Yeah. I'm too yeah. scared to talk about that. Um. No. So I I thought that the the third period was was pretty good. Uh, coming out of that last TV timeout, it was I think it was five fifty nine on the clock or something. I was just I was a bottle of nerves. I didn't know what was gonna happen, and then. We get the 2 nothing goal from Connor McDavid. Uh, the first thing I just want to say is the chip from Yamamoto in the neutral zone. The beautiful was such chip a area pass. fucking smart play that I don't know if a lot of people like. That's some high IQ stuff that. to know. I'm playing with McDavid. No I can shit. just. It's like Smith doing the pass in uh, mm-hmm. OT that one time. Because the just... defenseman read it like he was going to dump it into this like end. Oh, exactly. And he just chipped it right in the middle of center ice. It's just like, here, jackpot, go get the puck. No, it's it's funny watching that because I remember watching that very specifically. Yeah. Thinking that there was a whistle because I watched all the L.A. players just stop moving like they're playing NHL and their <laughs> controllers disconnected or something. Like, Dursey gave up on the play. Anthony Sioux tried for a couple seconds and then gave up on the play. And McDavid was the only one moving and, like, knew where the puck was. Yeah. Meanwhile, Quick's flailing all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I honestly thought it wasn't going to count because I thought there was a whistle and they just didn't hear it because the crowd was too loud or something like that. Well, I mean, we saw it too with the offsides. Like there was a delayed offside that was like twelve seconds late because nobody heard the whistle. Oh, exactly. Yeah, so turn back the clock. <laughs> and then Yamamoto was hopping up and down like crazy. Oh my god, like a rabbit out there. Yeah, yeah. Rightfully so, though. What I think up? everybody was Yamamoto in that moment. Yes. It's yeah. a lot of jumping around. I know I turned into a little girl, like, just screaming when he scored. I couldn't believe it. You know how but... hard it is to contain your excitement oh. when there's a sleeping baby <laughs> near you? I was losing my mind. Oh, my goodness. Um, As soon as they scored, the, it was weird because I was like, yay, I had my five minutes of being excited. Went from extreme happiness to extreme, okay, there's still a shitload of time to fuck this up. I mean... I don't like to have that outlook, but yeah. Edmonton hasn't put a whole lot of faith, especially in playoff games in those situations. Mm. So I was very nervous the whole time, but they really closed it down, ratcheted down those last minutes. They had some heavy possession time too. Yes. They played the exact way that you would always want them where you're like, we need to take it to him. Don't stop. Keep taking it to him. And they did exactly that. Yeah. They never sat back for a second in those last four minutes. Yeah. Uh, I also want to give... A shout out to Mike Smith, you beautiful son of a bitch. He showed up um, in Game Seven, and we got we got the best Mike Smith version of Mike Smith last night. And... I mean, besides Game Five, which he struggled a little bit, but he wasn't the reason we lost. Right. Like both Game Six and Seven, he played fan fucking tastic. And I find that the Oilers were actually helping him out a lot too because when you look at a lot of the shots that the Kings are taking that were going in at the start of the series, there's a lot of traffic in front and layers of uh screens, but I, I thought they did a really good job of boxing out players and and keeping the the lanes clear for for Smith to make the saves and Well, that's been LA's MO all series is they like dig down low, get possession, throw it back up to the point and then crash the net while the point man takes the shot. Yeah. And that's how they've scored most of their goals. It's either that or a random like flying rush from Campe or something like that. And that's the only way that they were able to score. But it's like I said at the end of our last podcast, I don't want to hear anybody talk shit about Mike Smith again. <laughs> like I don't care if he has a terrible series next series. Like he's besides McDavid, obviously, he's like just up there to the reason we won that series. He's got the stats to back it up as a playoff goaltender too. Oh, exactly. Like, I don't know. that. Like, that's the one thing, though. Like, stats don't tell the whole story because no. people will look at quick stats and be like, oh, he played terribly, like, overall in the series. But right. he's the only reason LA is where they were. Right. He got that. He had two bad games in game two and three, but he got that shutout in game four. And he almost could have stole this game, too. I think that was the scary part is how close the game was the whole time, even though we were out shooting them two to one and probably out chancing them like 10 to one at times. Yeah. I'd, I'd be lying if I uh, said that I didn't think or have that same thought, you know, there's well, all these there. shots, all these chances. Are we still going to lose this fucking game? Well, I'm sitting there rubbing my temples and I'm like, <laughs> are we getting goalied right now? I can't believe we're getting fucking goalied right now, <laughs> but they pull it off. Um, game seven victory. Oh, they're so sweet. They're just so sweet. Uh, I, I was definitely riding a high. Um, 
but we we've got the kings we've got to turn the page on to what's uh what's coming but before we do do we have any takeaways i know i have some thoughts that i want to get into just briefly um maybe a bit of discussion so i'll just jump into those right now um i know i'm putting you on the sh- on the spot shot well, so. i like being on the spot do it sweet um so uh i want to take it back to campe's overtime goal and uh point to the ear and so i've heard there's there's two different theories when it comes to this so the first one being that he's pointing to the crowd this is the one i believe is true um that he's pointing to the crowd saying like i can't hear you whatever whatever um but i also know that camp a has been on um he's a big chicklets follower and i know how big of a, a platform they have right now and you know ryan whitney's bet with uh, the earring that if uh the the flames exceed the oilers playoffs he has to wear one of those dangly barry bonds earrings for a month and for so, a month for a month Jeez, you know? this is the first i've really heard of this bet. yeah so um he's been really vocal about it and so um with that being everywhere on social media right now i there's also the thought that he pointed to his ear whatever it is don't care um caner after scoring the empty net goal throws up the seven finger um i have two thoughts about that <laughs> From a fan perspective, fucking love it. Nice oh. to throw some swag and, and, you know, back it up. Kane's the type of guy who would pull, like, one of those, like, we're winning game seven. Yeah. Guaranteed. You heard yeah. it here first. He's yeah. one of those type of players. But there, I can't help but think the coaches and probably a majority of the players hated that move. I mean, they probably don't love it. Yeah. But it's... It wasn't like saying, like, we're going to win. It's not like he scored the first goal in Game 7 and was, like, doing that belt motion like they're the champs or anything like that. He's just saying, Game 7, baby. And he's directing it toward the crowd. And it's almost a callback to that Kempe thing for him doing that to them. It's I have no problem with it, especially because Kane has a history with the L.A. Like Kings fans, and the fuck, who was the fucking reporter that asked him if it, that uh, he threw up fingers on how many goals he scored? Yeah, and like, he's like, I don't know how many goals I yeah, scored. Yeah, like he fucking put the back or the puck in the back of the net, and he's like, how ah, one, two, three? I've got seven now. Yeah, like Jesus. Honestly, the only thing I didn't love about it, like I would have hated it more if he was like really taunting the crowd in terms of like doing the Kempe thing on an empty net goal, mm. because it was like, yeah, you scored an empty net goal. Well, and there's but, some piece of shit la fans out there that were uh like they printed out pictures of his ex-girlfriend ex-wife whoever he was with before and they're like uh, they're the, they're the bad apples i i yeah talked to a few kings fans and some of the online blogs and stuff yeah a lot of them were really nice people overall oh and i just good fans yeah no don't get me wrong i think there's a 10 percent of every single fan base that is just dog shit well um, like i th- I saw on, uh, I think it was on Twitter, there was that nice brawl in the concourse in the Leafs game there after the game. My favorite comment I read about it was uh, uh, commenting about how, why is Patrick Maroon in the concourse after the game? Oh, I saw that. (laughs) So fucking funny. It looked exactly like him. Identical. Yeah, that was was funny. Poor Leafs. Um, (laughs) We'll leave it at that. Yeah, that's Um, that's all we have to say. Poor Leafs. No, that was just, I just wanted to get those thoughts out. I, I don't know if I'd love the oilers to instigate those kind of things um, i mean i, I have like no problem with confidence with yeah i have no problem with them following it up especially if you back it up uh, i have no problem with uh kane doing that i think people would feel differently if we would have lost game seven yes but uh ultimately we won so it doesn't matter point is moot at this don't that's, even have to worry that's about true. it true and we can take a deep breath uh there's nothing um, more exciting than the fact that we can roll in tonight after we're finished recording and watch Calgary fight for their death. See, here's what <laughs> I'm struggling with. Okay. It's like there's wanting Dallas to win, that, that side of it. Mm-hmm. I want Dallas to win because A, that means Calgary loses, and B, Dallas is probably the worst team, and just on paper anyways, right? and will have home ice advantage. But with that being said... It feels really gross, but I kind of want Calgary to win because Battle of Alberta would be fantastic for a playoff series. And I would absolutely love to rub it in their faces if we beat them. But with that being said, if we lost, I might die. I know. It's like, yeah, risk-reward, extreme risk, extreme reward. Um, like, we're not even playing each other, and I have this uh, my one friend, mm. and she texts me after every like Flames win. 
and every Oilers loss. Oh my I'm just God. like, we're not even playing each other. Why? Like, leave me alone. <laughs> oh, I would block that number so fast. <laughs> um, uh, so do you have a preference? I, I know they asked that question to like every single player last night. And the best response that I saw from um, uh, all the players was from Mike Smith. He's like, I, I literally do not care. I mean, ultimately, that's the attitude to have. Right. Like, they're just there to win. They don't care who they play. Yeah. But so, I think from my perspective as an Oilers fan, I'd prefer Dallas because it also brings back the potential for reviving the uh, 97 to 2003 rivalry. <laughs> um, I know I was chatting with my dad last night. And that was one thing that he commented. He's like, I want to see Calgary. And he's like, I'm so sick and tired of the Oilers playing Dallas in the playoffs. I was like, well, it's not our fault that we haven't been to the playoffs more than five times in the last 20 years. And then the six years before every year was Dallas. But there's no Mike Medanos anymore. So we don't have to worry too, too much about that. But. So I guess as an Oilers fan, I would say I want Dallas. And as a hockey fan, I want Calgary. That's fair. What do you think? Uh... Yeah. You don't want to be the guy that agrees, but you agree. I don't know where I'm swinging with this. I'm kind of in the mood of I don't care. This Okay, this... Let's be vulnerable, Sean. Let's open up the, uh, the diary here. I didn't love the fact that the Oilers could have lost the first round. Because I think there needs to show progression in where they're heading. Year 7 of McDavid, uh, throw that conversation out the window for this. Um, they need to show progression. And they've been stumped every year for the past three years in the first round. So is winning not progression? Or am I getting... Uh, I'm, I'm getting... No, I'm getting to my point here. Sorry, go ahead. No. Um, and so my thoughts last night were kind of, if the Oilers get eliminated, this is the end of the world. However, if they make it to the second round, I have no expectation for them to ex- like exceed past it. So I guess like the thought so, is... like. Their expectation was to win against LA. Yes. If they lost, it would have been disappointing. If they won, it's expected. Now it's expected that they play, but if they win, it could be above expectations. That's my thoughts, yeah. So when it comes down to who we play, um, I don't really care. Uh, I would, Yeah, I, I would like to see a Battle of Alberta. I don't know if I can mentally handle having Flames fans in my mentions for a week and a half, two weeks. Um but I want I want them to play Dallas. I do want them to play Dallas, just because I don't want to see Calgary advance. I think that's fair. I'd like to see the disappointment in Calgary's fans' faces tonight if they lose, similar to Toronto. Because mm-hmm. I think this is probably the best Calgary's going to be. Mm-hmm. Because after this off season, unless they win the cup or something like that, like a lot, they're going to lose a lot of their players. Like yeah. I know, like Goudreau's a unrestricted free agent. Matthew Kachuk's a restricted free agent, but his qualifying offer is like $8 million. So, like, how are they going to afford all these players, too, when they're still paying healthy scratch Sean Monaghan six and a half mil? <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. And yeah, still it paying does... Lucic for another year, too, mind you. Yeah, it, it does feel like Calgary's kind of on the, the brink of a chapter here anyways. I don't know so... what they would do because, like, they don't – Maybe I just don't know their depth well enough or their prospects, but I don't think they have that many big prospects in the pipeline that are especially ready to make the jump. Like, I think Edmonton has a few, like Hallway and Nemalinen, and even uh, maybe one of the right side guys in, like, Berglund or DeHardin or something. Yeah. But I don't know about Calgary. So, but we might be getting ahead of ourselves <sighs> talking about what will Calgary do. But... <laughs> Yeah, I guess we'll we'll see because I guess the first game will be what Wednesday. I think they're saying. I would think that it's Wednesday, and I'm secretly hoping for Wednesday because it's a long weekend. Then we get a game on Friday and Sunday. Oh yeah, that's a good point. So that'll be great, especially because I'm going to be watching out at the cabin. So that'll be fun. Yeah, yeah, that'll be good. Um, yeah. So there's no point really jumping in. I think uh, is. Just taking a look at where we're heading, though, what are the things that you'd like to see the Oilers continue just to be successful? Um, I would say top three things. Number one, I've said it before, I'll say it again, they have to come out to play. Show mm-hmm. up in that first period. Don't coast through that goddamn period, I swear to God. <laughs> um, number two is they need to play physical. Like I think especially against Calgary and Dallas next round, 
they're going to need to continue to play that way or they could easily get pushed out of the series by a team like Calgary. They have a lot of size on that team. Um, and then I think number three is they need to play like well-structured defensively. Mm-hmm. They can't get into those panic moments that keep screwing them over in those games they lost against LA where one guy tries to a weak attempt to get it out, it fails, and then they're hemmed in for a minute and they eventually crack and give a good opportunity to the other team. Yeah. I think that's been their Achilles heel all year. Like People like to complain about goaltending, but I like to think that it's because our defense gives up grade A chance after grade A chance. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with uh, the last one. The other thing that I would like to see them stick with is this 11-7 and 7, uh, format. It seems really to be working. Train, eh? I love it. I think, I think it brings more energy to your defensive core, which uh, I, I think... Like it's it's kind of like a closer by committee um, scenario with the the Edmonton Oilers. Like I don't think we have a number one and two defenseman. I think there's a lot of workload that's shared. Just a seven man unit. Yeah, and I don't know how you pull Chris Russell out of the lineup right now. I mean, he's I think uh, he's fantastic on things like the penalty kill. Um, I think he's just been good overall, but. Mm-hmm. I think it just comes down to the fact that Woodcroft is good at it. That's true. He's probably one of the best coaches at it that I've certainly seen. But it helps with the way that Edmonton's uh, team composition is mm-hmm. with their centers. And they have quite a bit of winger depth, too. Yeah. So they're able to roll them, no problem. Um, I think with a, like even a few years ago, it could have been a struggle if they were just trying to roll, like do 11-7, and seven, but keep Nuge on the wing, for example. I think that would have been difficult to do. But now it's way easier than it ever was. I'm just praying and praying that they f- dry saddle miraculously gets healed. Yeah, yeah, very true. Um, so just to wrap things up here, uh, we'll, we'll jump into our our uh, segment plus minus uh, of the week. Um, just thinking off the top of my head, we'll go through the uh, the pluses first. I think. Well, no, no. Let's end this on a high note. We'll start with the minuses. We always start with the minus. We yeah. end with the plus. Yeah, yeah. Sean, do you have any minuses to uh, to start out with? Or else I can jump in. You can start. I need okay. to think about it for a second. Mikey Anderson. Bye-bye. I cannot stand that man. He's such a dirty little rat. Uh, I know that um, I gave it to Lemieux, but uh, ugh. I will be so happy to never see him um, for the foreseeable future. That's my minus for the week. Mikey Anderson. Uh, your name's Mikey? Really? Like, why not go by Mike or Michael? Or oh, Michael, something? yeah. <laughs> like, come on, man. Figure it out. I yeah. Would, I would say my minus. I really have to think hard about this. Because it's so hard to think of a negative after a good game like that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, God. I'm not prepared for this at all. That's fine. I've been thinking too much about positives. <laughs> you did catch me. That's you good. Know, I'm going to have to save my minus because I'll just talk about a plus quick. And that is, I would say, the unsung hero of Game 7, which was Yamamoto. Because he was like, he was the reason they scored on both of their goals. Mm-hmm. And he's been a little wrecking ball all series. And I think I talked about it. I've talked about it with my friends before where we were talking about in this offseason, what do you do? Kane, Pulley, RV, Yamamoto. Like, oh, I'm not getting into this now. Well, we're not getting into this now. But <laughs> okay. one, of the, one of the things that I kept saying during that was like, Kane, yes. Pulley, RV, maybe. Yamamoto, maybe. And the big thing on Yamamoto is, will he show up in the playoffs? Right. Because he got pushed out of both the Chicago and the Winnipeg series. And I think he's proven to everybody that he knows how to play now. Yeah, he can do what he needs to do in the playoffs to be effective, and not get pushed out of the series. Yeah, yeah. Which is play like you're six foot five, two hundred fifty pounds. A uh, little pinball. Yeah, no, I I I like that. Um, so I guess my plus for the week, uh, I I wish I knew who it was, but who was ever in charge of? And this this is gonna be vulnerable again, Sean. Uh, people are gonna think I'm just the biggest pansy ever, but. Uh, whoever's in charge of managing the in-game experience for the Edmonton Oilers for the playoffs has knocked it out of the park. See, it's funny you say that because it's been, I would say, pretty mediocre all year leading up to the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. I know that uh, 
it's been pretty re- like redundant. They haven't done many changes over the past two years. I know uh, with it being the first year that they had fans in over two years, they didn't change next to anything. But from everything that I'm seeing and hearing, like they're including clips of Ben, um, but f- it, like during the 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 intro to having the Oilers come on the ice, and then uh, last night, I'm not afraid to 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 say it, but like definitely welled up a little bit when I saw Joey Moss in the crowd singing Oh Canada last night. Like uh, that got me pretty good. I think they do an excellent job of that. So kudos to uh, whoever's all responsible for that. Well, I think I thought of my minus. It's not exactly, <laughs> it's not exactly part of game seven or anything, but this is, I meant to talk about it last week, but I didn't. And I just wanted to talk about goaltender interference okay. and how to this day, nobody knows what the fuck goaltender interference is. I don't think the league knows what it is. Yeah. It's like, I'll see the same play and it'll go two different directions. It's like, for example, if the puck goes in and on the ice, it's called a goal and they review it they will not turn it back. But if they call it no goal, they won't award the goal, even though it's the exact same play. It's just a matter of, did the ref call it a goal or not on the ice? Are you honing in on that uh, Kane uh, goal in game six that got waved off? I think so, but there's also goals in a couple other games too. Yeah. And I don't know. Like I think it might just be a refing thing in general. Um, I know like a lot of people are complaining that depending on the situation, they would or would not have called things. It's like um, I watched the Toronto game yesterday, and there was that pick that they made yes. when Tavares scored. Yeah. And a lot of people are being like, if he didn't score, they wouldn't have called the penalty. But since he did, they called the penalty. No, that's a penalty every So day. if you watch it, did the ref throw up his hand immediately? He didn't put up his hand until after the goal was scored, and then he was like, oh, now that's a penalty. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that. But part. I think that's kind of like they're taking it out of the moment and they're like looking back and making the decision after the fact all kind of based like off retro. of the it's like when they suspend players based off of if the player got injured or not mm. which is really stupid because it's a dangerous place or, or dangerous play regardless so they should be suspended based off the action not the result and i think that's kind of what they need to start doing yeah it's like is it goaltender interference yes or no i don't care if they scored i don't care if they didn't it's a yes or no question well and, and you made the comment on one of our first uh, episodes just that it'd be kind of cool to see is if they implemented just like a timing window where you have like 30 seconds to look at something or you can only look at something a couple times and uh, you have to make your decision based on that well like when they slow it down they like it slows down the game for one which sucks because it could be a momentum killer like you score a goal and then we sit there for 10 minutes while they review it just for them to call it back and be like well now we have no momentum anymore yeah um they need to figure something out with those because it is in my opinion it's ruining the game that's that's true, but on the plus side, as Oilers fans, we have no more California teams to uh, worry about having Thank that. Thank the Lord. Ryan Kessler's retired, right? <laughs> yeah. Don't have to think about that. Yeah, he's part of the Knights now, so uh, don't have to even worry about him in playoffs. Hey, before we go though, yeah, I wanted to mention they announced the uh, finalists for the Ted Lindsay and the Heart. Oh, okay, yeah. Both of which McDavid was in there. Yeah. Matthews was also in both, and then Shesterkin's the other finalist for the Heart. And Yossi is for the Lindsay. Yeah. So in your opinion, I just want to ask you, which one's more valuable? Uh, do you, do you respect of... the the winner of the heart or the Lindsay more? Which one, whose oh, opinion do you respect? More? Absolutely the Lindsay. Like you have, you're getting reporters who've never skated on the ice before fucking voting. You have to, but being judged by your own peers, I think is more rewarding than, um, See, than, than having a bunch of, Joe blows in the reporting game. See, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Oh, okay. I think part of the problem is when they're talking about these trophies, it's the media who is talking about the trophies. Therefore, they seem to make the heart a bigger deal than the Lindsay. Right. Because they're the ones voting on it, so they want it to be more important. But we're going to change that. I think the Lindsay is the most sought-after trophy in the league, <laughs> bar none. It doesn't matter what position you play. If you're play. If everybody else in the league respects the way you play and thinks you're the best, then you're the best. So what's your thoughts just regarding uh, Shesterkin being included in that? The So I've seen arguments that there's too many awards for goalies and he shouldn't be included in that list. Is there too many awards? Like, I know there's the Vesna. Mm-hmm. There's that, I think it's the Jennings. Jennings, yeah. Where they, it's like lowest goals against average combined as a 
Team? Team stat. <laughs> yeah, like it's a team stat. It's not a goalie stat. <laughs> Anybody who says it's a goalie stat doesn't pay attention to hockey. Yeah. So, like, I disagree that there's too many. I think there should be more trophies. Like, the whole aspect that there should be an offensive defenseman trophy, a de- defensive defenseman trophy, and maybe an overall trophy or something. Oh, yeah. Just like there's a, a Selkie, and there's the But then we're giving and... participation ribbons to everybody. I mean, they can't. They don't overdo it. But <laughs> okay. like, realistically, there should be a trophy for each category. Like, it doesn't have to be huge and be like, "Oh my god!" But like, he won this trophy. That's so crazy. Yeah. But it can just be like a significant trophy. It's like it's blasphemy that there isn't a Gretzky trophy of some kind. You can yeah, just make it most assists or something like that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So like, I don't know. I feel like there needs to be that, but I think McDavid will win the Lindsay. And unfortunately, I think Matthews is probably going to win the Hart Trophy. Fuck off. Um, just because of voter fatigue. <laughs> the one thing I do like, though, is that uh, when we were going to talk about this before, you had mentioned that we should do the our, our, our predictions before the playoffs because everyone skews their votes. And I saw so many things like last night <laughs> that are just like, you can't tell me McDavid's not the heart winner now. And then you saw the the arguments for Matthews, like 60 goals all for fucking nothing. <laughs> well, that's the reason why you, you they have to vote beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> because it's so easy. It's like when McKinnon had that great first round. Everyone's like, McKinnon, heart trophy, guaranteed, best yeah. player in the league. Like, McDavid doesn't come close. And, like, people just... Yes, playoff performance is important, but that's what the consummates for. Yeah. Like, don't worry about it in other contexts. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. But, uh, yeah, that, that pretty much does it. Uh, I, it's kind of a waiting game. We are so blessed to sit in and uh, see who our next opponent's going to be. Uh, tonight is game seven. By the time you're listening to this, you probably know who uh, who it's going to be. Looking at Wednesday for a start of the series. Oilers versus the Flames, Dallas, I don't know. We'll see, but uh, Oil Country, we can rest easy tonight. Man, I slept so nice last night. I slept on an air mattress, and yet I slept like a baby. It's nice going to bed without any anxiety or nervousness or disappointment or anger. You just lay in bed like arms crossed with a smile on your face. (laughs) It's a sleep tight, huh? (laughs) Sleep tight, Oil Country.